I don't think I need to preach, right? <laughs> no, I'll just go home. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. Beloved, let us pray. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Help us hear so that we can listen. Listen so that we may believe. Believe so that we may respond. This and every day. Amen. Friends, it is so good to see you all. I know I was gone for not even a week, but it's still really good to see you all. For those of you who don't know, I just got back from a trip on the East Coast and the South. And over the course of that time, I stayed in five places, boarded three planes, four trains, and a dozen automobiles. I visited with old friends and I made some new ones. I took Kohelet's advice and I enjoyed good food and drink and spent time with loved ones. It was a really rich time and I'm so glad to be home. <laughs> During my time away, I visited with two very different communities of faith. The first was my old stomping grounds, Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Located smack dab in the middle of Manhattan, Fifth Ave is a historic institution within our denomination known for its deep roots in the Presbyterian tradition and its outreach, particularly those experiencing homelessness. From its worship to its sanctuary, Fifth Ave reminds you of the endurance of the Christian faith. From there, I flew to Atlanta, Georgia, where I served as one of the speakers at the 2022 Evolving Faith Conference. Entirely virtual, this year's conference hosted thousands of attendees from countries like the US, Israel, South Africa, Sweden, Colombia, and Indonesia, just to name a few. Not bound to a building or a denomination, this community ministers to a fast-growing population of those who identify themselves as spiritual wanderers. I guess I should not do that. <laughs> Many of whom are trying to sort through their Christian faith from tradition. Now, while these two communities are very different, they confirmed the same thing, something I have long seen and suspected in my time here at First Pres, and it's this. The Holy Spirit is up to something very exciting right now. With a new kind of passion and energy and wisdom and purpose, I am seeing how people of faith, how people of the Christian faith are hungry to talk about things once relegated to side chatter in the church. Topics not previously, not previously deemed appropriate for the wider church to discuss. Issues like climate change and racism, nationalism, gender identity and inequality, sexuality, economic disparity, mental health, and so much more. And what this shift signifies is not that the church has lost its focus, but rather that the church has expanded its focus. Not in some misguided effort to be more woke or worldly, but in a holy desire to be more faithful and more loving. Friends, this is a good thing. This is a God thing. This is a gospel thing. But it's also an overwhelming thing. Because the wider our focus becomes, the greater our awareness of all of the urgent and important and pressing needs that rage around us. As Christians, what are we to prioritize? How can we make a difference? How should we respond? 
We become more focused on finding the right answer than actually doing the work. But here's the good news. God is not calling us to be saviors. We've already got one. No, God is calling us to be stewards, to do what we can with what we have where we are, AKA stewardship. Now I know you hear that word and you immediately assume I'm talking about money. And I won't lie, that is an important part of the conversation, but it is just a part. God has given us a lot to steward from creation to community, time to talent, power to privilege, which means that stewardship isn't just a thing we talk about once a year at church. It is a very way of life. And because this topic is so big and so important, we are going to take some time talking about what it means to be good stewards, what it means to engage in good stewardship. And we are going to do so through the lens of belonging, a sense of belonging. Today we start with the question, to whom do you belong? Helping us answer this question is Exodus chapter 16. Now, for those of you who like a good long scripture reading, you're in luck. For those of you who like a really excellent story, you're also in luck. It is long, so I encourage you to pay attention to the details. Picture the story, imagine it as it unfolds. Get comfortable, but stay awake. For the Lord is speaking. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam, and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I heard the complaining of the Israelites say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread, then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine, flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, what is this? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs, an omer to a person according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their tents. The Israelites did so, some gathering more 
some less. But when they measured it with an omer, those who gathered much had nothing over, and those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over until the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it as much as each needed. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, two omers apiece. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a solemn day of rest. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake, boil what you want to boil, and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put aside until morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not become foul, and there were no worms in it. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, and guess what? They found none. The Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and instructions? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you food for two days. Each of you stay where you are. Do not leave your place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called it manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations in order that they may see the food with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the covenant for safekeeping. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a habitable land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And friends, an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. Friends, the word of the Lord. You did it! You survived! Good job! When I was back in New York City, I took a stroll down memory lane with my former neighbor and visited my old apartment building and walked by my local grocery store and bodega and reminisced about the good times and the bad times. We talked about how in the weeks leading up to the pandemic, things got a little crazy. People got a little crazy. As the possibility of a citywide shutdown became more likely, desperation reared its ugly head and in a matter of days, every single store in the city was sold out of three things. One, Lysol wipes. Two, hand sanitizer. And three, Toilet paper, you got it, toilet paper. During that time, the local news began to do this thing where they would show footage of empty shelves in stores across the city, interviews with people waiting in line to see if they could find just one roll of toilet paper. 
and then cutting it to a shot of someone's garage or a closet that was just wall to wall stacked with surgical gloves and masks and Lysol wipes and hand sanitizer and toilet paper. Reminding us that a popular and very human response to crisis is to hoard. Now to be fair, we all do this in one way or another to one extent or another. Animals, humans, people of means, people without. We all do this thing where we take more of something than we actually need. Afraid of being without, we squirrel away as much as we can. We take more than our share, we hoard. And we do it because we are afraid or insecure. Afraid about not having enough, insecure about not being enough. It's kind of in our DNA. Just look at the Israelites. By the time we encounter them in our passage, they have already been wandering in the wilderness for weeks. They have no idea where they are going, how they will get there, or when they will arrive. Yes, they had just been miraculously freed from brutal slavery by the Most High God. But that was then. And they needed some assurance now. And so in their fear and insecurity, they turned to a time-honored practice they had actually learned from their slave masters, the practice of hoarding. As Exodus 1 points out, the Egyptians saw how numerous the Israelites had become, and in their fear and in their insecurity, they hoarded the labor of these people. They hoarded the number of boys that could live and thrive in that place. They hoarded land and resources and wealth, taking more than they needed, more than their share, because they believed that there was not enough to go around, that there was not enough for everyone. A system of enslavement built on the myth of scarcity. And so even though the Israelites were living in a new place, as a freed people, they continued to play by the old rules. That is, until God set some new ones. Rules like only gather what you need for that day, no more, no less, except for the sixth day where you can gather twice what you need, sixth day, because on the seventh day you will rest. If you squirrel away extra, if you hoard, the portion you will have on the side will breed worms and grow foul. And if you go out on the seventh day, you won't find a single flake on the ground. Those are the rules. But you see, these rules had a holy purpose. They weren't just some arbitrary test of discipline or the anti-marshmallow experiment. They were there to teach the Israelites a new way of living, a new way of being, a new way of belonging. No longer slaves but children, a chosen people of the Most High God. And what better place to learn a lesson that radical, that difficult, than in the wilderness, a sacred place where the only thing you can do is trust in God. A painful lesson, but an important one, because trust breeds security. Security breeds generosity, and generosity breeds belonging. 
a beautiful and holy economy built on abundance over scarcity, where everyone takes what they need and each portion is enough, an economy where rest is required and each member considers the whole, even as they steward their parts. But knowing full well that they would not stay in the wilderness forever, God gives the Israelites one final rule to aid them in their lives together. God commands them to remember to take a portion of manna and place it in a jar, not to eat it or to hoard it, but to serve as a reminder for themselves and the generations to come that when they were enslaved, God freed them. When they were hungry, God fed them. When they were scared and insecure, God called them God's own. Whether in the wilderness or in the promised land, they were to remember that they belonged to God. Beloved, the same is true for us today. We belong to God. We can trust in God. Which means we don't have to take more than we need to survive. We don't have to labor every day of the week to persist. We are neither creators of manna or slaves of a cruel master. We are gatherers. We are stewards of all that God has put before us. But first, we must remember. We must remember how God met us in the wilderness, how God feeds our deepest of needs, how God calls us and claims us, carries us from life to death, the desert to the land of milk and honey, from enslavement to belonging. No matter how much the conversation has shifted over time, no matter what new places we as the church are called to go or all the new people we are called to serve, we have to start with remembering who we belong to. And friends, we belong to God. You belong to God. The earth and all that is in it belongs to God. And so as we continue this journey on stewardship, I am going to be giving you an assignment each week. This week's assignment is to figure out what or where or who your jars of manna are. What reminds you that God can be trusted? Where have you seen God's faithfulness in your life? What can you look to when you are scared and insecure? What helps you remember that you belong to God. As a church, we are blessed to have traditions that serve as jars of manna. One such tradition is that of baptism. And I can't think of a better way for us to remember God's faithfulness than to witness the sacred baptism of just one. <laughs> 